This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. I've been doing some research on what's most important to business leaders, and I've heard three major themes. Number one, their employees are burned out and feel overwhelmed. Number two, they're concerned about customer retention. And number three, they want to address customer friction, whether it's controllable or not, but they need actionable results. As a result, I've created the 120-day Quick Start a four-step program designed to go from current state assessment to specific strategies to get you actionable results in 120 days. If you want to make a quick impact, check out empoweredcx.com for more information. I'd love to talk to you. But along the same lines, you need to take a look deeper and systemically to see what is standing in the way of that. Do our systems support the behavior change we want to see? Do our processes, do our reward systems, our performance management systems, are our metrics aligned to the way we would like people to behave? And all of that can have a huge impact on people feeling that they can make the change and still be successful. Um, If you're if the behavior you want to see in your company doesn't align with the way that you're rewarding performance, um, you're not going to see that change happen. Well, I am so excited for this episode of the Delighted Customers podcast because I have a very special guest today. Amanda Schmalt is the Senior Director of Change and Transformation Enablement at Halo Branded Solutions. And she's also the president of the Association of Change Management Professionals. Um, And this is so exciting because there is really a huge intersection between change management and customer experience management. And I can't wait to dive into it Uh, for both sides. I think anyone listening would be interested, but for both sides. So before I go any further, let me uh, welcome you, Amanda, to the show. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. Excellent. Well, um, I will share with the audience briefly how how we met. Um, this year's first in-person meeting in a long time for the ACMP was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the theme was customer experience. Um, and so Greg, who's the, uh, leader of our organization, the, the, uh, customer experience professionals association, uh, and Amanda connected and we're looking for a speaker and I was able to do to join them and 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 do a, a a keynote over there in Charlotte in person, and it was so amazing. First of all, to see people coming together for the first time for me, it was a first large in person event since COVID, uh, and to meet you and the team of people who are fantastic people, I really felt a sense of kindred spirit. But if, if you don't mind, uh, share with 
the audience how you landed in the world of change management and how you ended up where you are today leading as a leader in both these organizations. Absolutely. I started out my career in communications uh, in the public sector and moved into the uh, the private sector later in my career. And when I did, that's when I was first introduced to the concept of change management and had my foot in both the communication and change management camps for a while before I realized it was the next natural progression of my career is adding the learning and reinforcement components to my communication practice to provide a more holistic service for my employers. I went from the manufacturing industry to agribusiness to finance and banking uh, to retail and now to uh, promotional products. And I've been able to carry over that same skill set from client to client um, and from change to change, be it a customer experience change, a systems change, or an organizational structure change. Excellent. And um, ACMP, tell us a little bit about that organization and, and how it serves its members. Absolutely. Um, ACMP is uh, very similar to CXPA in terms of our tenure and focus on our communities. ACMP has been around since 2011, and we serve customer or sorry, change management professionals around the globe. Um, we also provide services to those in professions related to change, like customer experience, project management, HR, and to leaders of change within organizations. And our focus is really to grow the community, advance the profession, and optimize collaboration across the change management profession. Okay. And then I'm guessing much like uh, the CCXP is, which is a certified customer experience professionals, there's a designation, there's a certification in your world? Yes, we've got the certified change management professional credential. Okay. And if I were... You know, if I were, um, thank you for that background. And if I, like people ask me all the time, well, first of all, what is customer experience? And they, they typically relate it to something like customer service or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, if people say, you know, what does a change manager do in an organization and why might I need one? What would you say? One of the things that I like to tell people when they ask about what I do is part of my job is to listen to the changes that leaders are wanting to make and the results they want to achieve, and then figuring out what's standing in the way of success from a people and culture perspective. And then looking, how do we prepare those people we want to change to make that change? Or in some cases, how do we prepare those leaders that the um, obstacles aren't going to allow them to achieve the results they had intended. And so the conversation can go both ways, um, but either way, whatever we can do to mitigate that and make the change as successful as possible is a great result. Yeah. And that's just so, so important um, it, because um, I, I remember being at the conference and I have used this before. Someone shared a slide and then I've later seen it in different versions that 75% of change initiatives don't end up being sustained. Do, you know, was, is that something that uh, you, you have found and why do they fail? 
you know, that's a statistic that's been around for a long time. And there's a lot of debate out there about, is it directionally accurate or is it accurate, accurate? But I think we know that a lot of changes don't receive, um, don't achieve the results intended. I think we've all experienced those in our careers. And a lot of times it's simply because the expectations and the acceptance of the change don't align. Uh, what stands in the way of success time and time again is that misunderstanding between what we're trying to achieve and what we need to do to achieve it. Um, and once you bring about that connection between leadership's intent and what the employees need to do to move forward, it really does help the change come together all more smoothly and to achieve those results faster. And that that faster thing is a big deal, right? Because if you if you merge two companies, you could literally have two cultures running parallel for years, right? Absolutely. And and you yeah. help you help with all that. That happens more frequently than you would think. Um, mm. The idea is, without change management, it takes much longer for that to naturally come together, and in some cases, it doesn't naturally come together at all. But when you add in change management, you can start to put a path to where you get to being one organization. Yeah. And I imagine, um, you know, as we start to talk about the intersection between the two professions, uh, it was cool to be in the audience before mm -hmm. I spoke to listen to the presentations mm -hmm. and hear how much overlap there is uh, between our two areas in a really positive way. You know, it wasn't until I was doing my, my job, I was leading, we launched and in, in, I was leading a CX uh, uh, discipline, we call it. We don't like to call it a program mm -hmm. because programs have a beginning and an end, um, typically. So, um, you know, for, for about three or four years, building these things, these things that would enable us to be able to do things like measure uh, customer feedback and change, you know, design thinking and, and changing things, um, put, standing up teams of people to help with the decision-making process, all, all those things. And then it occurred to me several years in, now, wait a minute, what you're really doing is this is about cultural transformation and you're a change agent and um, you're really not equipped to, to be a change agent. So uh, I was thirsty for the things that were, were being taught at the change management meeting does that make sense to you? It does. One of the things that we were hearing from our members is that they were getting pulled into more and more customer experience changes. And as we looked at CXPA's competencies for customer experience and our standard for change management, the overlap yeah, is amazing. Uh, you, you have the word change management in almost all of your competencies in some way or form. And we structured our agenda around that, really looking at in each phase of a customer experience engagement, what are you bringing to the table in terms of change management? How are you using the data? How are you interacting with the stakeholders? How are you moving the experience forward so that the business achieves the results? It really made a nice uh, pathway and a nice, uh, a nice segue for our agenda. Well, um, so on on the on that point about customer experience and change management mm -hmm. having a confluence, um, what does it mean, in, from your viewpoint, of an organization to be customer centric? 
You know, we get that question a lot in change management. As we look at our stakeholders, uh, sometimes the customer that we define is an actual customer of the company. And sometimes it's the employees on the front line who are dealing with the customers, your internal customers, so to speak. Mm. And so one of the first things we do in change management is figure out who exactly is the customer in this instance. And then we figure out how do we help them move forward with this change? And in some cases that may be enabling um, a customer experience uh, employee uh, those on the front lines who are talking to the actual customers uh, with what they need to help the customers through the change. Sometimes it's helping that employee through the change themselves um, because they are the de facto change agent for that end customer, regardless of whether the change is a direct impact to them or not. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, would love, I would love for you to share an illustration of one of one of the most maybe maybe just a success success story of one of the big mm-hmm. changes that you had to make and i know that you you when you uh, dotted the the horizon with the different places you had done work in you 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 mentioned retail but you were at neiman marcus weren't you i was can you and you don't have to single one out but it would be cool because <laughs> everybody knows who neiman marcus is like what what change, you know, do you go look back and say, you know what, I'm proud of that. We did a good job there. What comes to mind? You know, one of the things that I loved about my tenure there was a culture change that we had put mm. in place. And we were just starting it as I joined the company. And it was really about taking some of those shifts in behavior and in culture that we had put in place as a response to COVID and making those officially a part of the culture that we had moving forward, looking for that right balance of of work-life balance, figuring out how we can work smarter, not harder, uh, figuring out how we uh, were simplifying what we were doing, how we were better serving the customer, and making those informal practices that got stood up as a reaction to the environment at the time and making those the new way of working for the company. Yeah, I mean that's got to be hard in retail. Um, <laughs> you 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 know you, they're not all you know master's degree, uh, MBA engineers. Are, you're you're getting kind of a, a real mix of people coming to work every day. Some people mm-hmm. some people obviously are, are 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 getting paid quite well, and but other people are maybe making their inroads into into retail and eventually management mm-hmm. and leadership and everything. Uh, and they're just starting out or, you know, um, how do you, how do you affect culture, you know, and, and because there's this sort of the stated culture that leadership says, this is, this is what I'd like it to be. These are our vision, mission values, et cetera. And then there's the, the, the shadow culture or the real culture of what's going on. So how do you, like, what are some of the things you can do to bring it all together? One of the things that we look at with any type of culture change is how do you start to build tiny habits? So big scale behavior change is something that you can't do in a six month or six week period. It may take six years to bring about, but you can start by figuring out what are those small changes that we can make in behavior and how do we repeat those behaviors, recognize those behaviors so that they become a part of the normal way of doing business. Um, with any culture change, I find recognition is always a key tactic that we bring to the table. How do we recognize 
uh, those behaviors that are on the path to what we want to achieve aspirationally? And how do we quietly and respectfully discourage those behaviors that are the old way of working and that we want to see disappear from our culture? And you've got to do both. You can't just recognize the good without also coaching to the behavior that isn't what you want to see anymore. Um, but you've got to help people understand it's not something you can shift overnight. It's um, something that's a slow growth. Um, you'll see the behaviors, eventually the behaviors, um, or you'll see the habits, and eventually those small habits get repeated enough that they start to be a behavior that you don't need to constantly reinforce. So what I, what I hear you saying is, you know, you can't eat the elephant all at once. No. Um, make little changes, little adjustments that form habits that eventually turn into behaviors and eventually you'll, you'll get that. What do you see as some of the common mistakes, common things that really impede the progress of cultural transformation of change? Is it, is it things like leaderships really not doing what they say, uh, do as I do, not as I say, and you're not seeing them <laughs> live by example? Is it, you see that there are, rules that, uh, or policies that conflict directly with what we're saying we want the culture to be, what, what comes to mind for you? All of the above. Um, <laughs> I think, yes, definitely leadership needs to walk the talk and set the example if they want to see employees change in the same way. Um, you definitely can't have a do as I say, not as I do approach and expect culture change to happen. But along the same lines, you need to take a look deeper and systemically to see what is standing in the way of that. Do our systems support the behavior change we mm. want to see? Do our processes, do our reward systems, our performance management systems, are our metrics aligned to the way we would like people to behave? And all of that can have a huge impact on people feeling that they can make the change and still be successful. Um, if you're if the behavior you want to see in your company doesn't align with the way that you're rewarding performance, um, you're not going to see that change happen. Yeah. And, you know, when I think of uh, Neiman Marcus, I think about a great brand. I, I really do. And I think most people do think of it as a top notch kind of a in the same stratosphere as Ritz and, you know, Apple and some of the best, you know, well-run brands that people, um, expect quality and service you'll know, be at the highest level and when i when i think about um you know how do you, how do you bring and is a large organization right i mean how many employees you know how do you bring that many people along and have them feel what you want them to feel and deliver that kind of experience um and, and where i was going with this was things that conflict like things that go in the way I, I think about a typical call center, you know, and if you're, tr if you're tracking not first call resolution, mm -hmm. but if you're tracking something like, you know, total talk time, that's one of the ones at TTT. Um, then uh, if you're trying to get your call center agents, have the customers get off the phone as soon as possible mm -hmm. um, that, that could go fly directly in the face of a great customer experience. Are there things like that, that, you know, uh, that you've come across and I'm not trying to pick out a particular mm -hmm. Neiman Marcus or anyone else, but there are things like that, that you say, you know, we got to fix that. 
I got to say the best example I've seen of how to do it right was when I first came to USAA working on their change management and mm. their CEO at the time, Joe Robles was fond of saying, if we take care of the employees, they'll take care of the members and your customer experience really does start with your employee experience. Yeah. It, if you're, if you're treating the employees the same way you want them to treat your customers, then they're going to pay that forward. They're seeing a great example of how to how how to handle, takes care of someone, make them feel safe, and then they're going to put that same example forward and lead the way that they are led. And you worked at USAA, which which um, you know when we when we shared, we had ori- uh, orientation for every new employee, and we would mm-hmm. talk about some of the best. When we introduced Net Promoter Score, we we introduced some of the best companies. USA was always either <laughs> at the top of the list or near the top of the list. It did an excellent job of caring for your your members there. Absolutely, great. They set a great example that I've been able to carry in my career since I left. <laughs> and. Um, you know, something we struggle with, it keeps coming up, it rears its ugly head in the world of customer experience management is proving the ROI of CX. Uh, what, you know, we're, we're having to prove ourselves uh, because of a number of reasons, one of which is that, you know, people would argue that CX isn't widely accepted as a structural component of an organization yet. We're still kind of establishing ourselves as a profession, as a, in some cases, a department within the organization. Um, and so constantly having to prove, even though uh, for those of us, it just makes common sense. We're going to serve the customer really well and we'll get the financial rewards by, by making them so happy that they love us and can't wait to tell their friends and keep bringing them, bring, coming back and telling their friends. Um, but to you, um, when we th- when we talk about the proving the return on investment for customer experience as a change management, you know, professional and leader, what does that mean to you? I think customer experience and change management see some similar struggles when it comes to proving the ROI because you can have a great change management plan for an engagement, and mm. yet the success or the failure of the engagement doesn't rely on the change management plan alone. And I think from customer experience, it's a similar journey. You can have a great approach to how you want the customers to be handled, but the system process, external factors can get in the way and stand in the way of success. And when we look at engagement, we look at it both from the results of the the change um, and what the change is wanting to achieve. But you've also got to look at it from a behavioral standpoint and the customer satisfaction or the employee satisfaction as you go through that change can help lead to the perception of success. And I always try and put in some of those behavior metrics in addition to the ones we're measuring on the success of the change itself to be able to say, okay, here's where we started beforehand and here's how we've shifted that behavior since the beginning of the engagement, we're seeing that culture shift that we wanted to see. Um, And therefore we can say we were successful, even if we're still dealing with bugs in the system or tweaks to the process uh, moving forward. And I think it's important to understand how to measure both. There's the success of the project and the success of the engagement. 
And that is that is a, a gem right there um, to to think about measuring behaviors along the way, and because that's something you could easily overlook and say, "Yeah, we're doing it; they're doing it differently." But to actually put a metric on it, what would be if I were uh, a change, either a CX person or a change manager, what would what would be an example of a of a typical metric or a metric, a behavioral metric that I might I might tap into and say, "You know, what, I'm going to start looking at that." Uh, change readiness metrics are really good to use for that and measuring throughout the life cycle of the engagement. Um, do you understand how to do your job differently? Are you ready to do your job differently? Do you feel like you're doing your job well um, post-change? And really measuring that readiness of the employee to make the changes that you need to happen. I have found through experience that some of the changes that don't see the, uh, those metrics, you're not ready to put it in place and you're not gonna see the results as quickly as you want to. Um, some changes, you can't wait until after implementation to do training, or you can't wait until after to close the gaps. You've gotta prepare people in advance. And in others, you may have no choice but to surprise them with the change and then triage afterwards uh, because sometimes changes come from the outside and you can't pick the timing yourself. Yeah. And, and I think, um, I'm sure you're very familiar with acquisitions and mergers. So mm-hmm. there is an example, you've got a combination of, of certain things that just can't be shared because of regulations or yeah. laws or whatever other reasons. And then certain things like happen after customer day one, which, yeah. which, you know, there's legal day one when the two companies mm-hmm. are legally one, and then there's mm-hmm. customer day one when, it goes from two companies to one and typically for the customer, they're, they're now dealing with you on one platform or the other platform, but no longer, you know, whatever, whoever the, the biggest change is usually for the act, the company that's being acquired mm-hmm. um, because they've got to switch over, but not always. So um, yeah, so there, there's some potential bumps in the road and what you're talking about. So the measuring behavioral metrics, I'm assuming then you're surveying the employees at different points along the, the timeline. Yeah, you can do it by um, doing just a traditional survey along the timeline. Um, a lot of times we'll build it in with the learning metrics as well. And so we'll look at not just the qualitative of the employees saying like they feel they can do their job uh, in the new way, but you'll also be able to then look at some operational metrics that say, are they doing their job in that way? Are mm. we seeing those results? And in some cases, not seeing the results doesn't mean that they don't feel prepared for the change. Sometimes it just means there's um, some other factor in there that's causing it. So I like to look at both so we can dig in and find the actual root cause. Hmm. That is is great. Um, Why do you think as a change manager, you're you're dealing with all kinds of change? Ben, you mentioned earlier that CX is one of the areas that's become a little more popular lately. in terms of needing your help. Why do you think CX programs struggle? Because it's not an easy thing to do. I I mean, you know, the age old adage is that the customer is always right. But in reality, not always. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you're not gonna make them all happy all of the time with changes that are taking place. And in many cases, for a business, the change they have to make is out of control. It might be driven by regulatory reasons, or it may be driven by other external factors in the marketplace. And 
that doesn't mean you can't try and make it a good employee experience, even if it's not something they're going to be happy with, but you're not always going to see a hundred percent score on those uh, customer satisfaction results. Yeah. Well, well said, well said. Well, I just, um, I so appreciate hearing your expertise, your insights coming in kind of a little bit from the outside, looking in at our profession and giving us your view of that. And it's been, it's been fascinating. Um, I would like to land the plane asking you another question that's more, more personal. Mm -hmm. And I do this at the end of, Mm -hmm. of a lot of the discussions, which is, um, what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Oh, good question. I would go back and get more training in change and data and customer experience. Um, Mm -hmm. That's something that I picked up later in my career. uh, There was a little bit in my undergrad and graduate education, but I wasn't quite sure how to apply it on the job at that point in time. And I think um, if I had that understanding and if I were able to apply it better earlier, my career uh, might have taken a completely different trajectory. So I think those are three skills that no matter what industry you're in, you need to understand how do I make it a good customer experience? How do I build resiliency for change? And how do I use the data that I'm seeing um, around me to drive both actions? Excellent. Excellent. Um, It occurred to me that there may be some people listening who are, um, either in career transition or uh, thinking about their future career path. And if they might have an interest in change management, you know, it, um, what, kinds of, what, what kinds of ways might they be clued in a, to, to fill in the blanks? I might be interested in becoming a change management professional if, what are some of those things that that they might want to come to visit your organization for? If you like to solve problems and make people feel better, um, if you are comfortable working in a gray area, because Mm. in change management, you spend a lot of time in the gray. It's not necessarily black or white. Um, And if you have a high tolerance for working with uncertainty, Hmm. And, and for a moment there, talk about, if you would, just the rewards of all that, like, oh. what is, what are the things that you, you would tell them that if you, if you can check those boxes, you will love being a change <laughs> management professional. <laughs> I think my favorite part is when you're talking with the leaders about what you, the risks you need to mitigate in order to achieve the change successfully there's this light bulb moment where you just see the light bulb pop up above their head Mm. and you realize they understand it because change management is both a profession, but it's also a capability that we're building in others. And so we spend just as much time coaching leaders to do change well on a day-to-day basis with their teams as we do on talking about the one specific change they're putting in place. And when you start to see the leaders get it and you realize that they're going to pay it forward and use this with their team on the next project and the next project, whether they need you by their side or not, that's one of the most rewarding parts. Excellent. Well, well said. Well said. 
Um, well, excellent. So if people would like to reach out and connect somehow, either to learn more, uh, to connect with you personally or learn more about ACMP, what would be the best way? Yeah, um, you can reach out to me through LinkedIn or you can go to acmpglobal.org. Um, you can reach me through that site as well. All right. Would you mind spelling your last name for them? Sure. It's S-C-H-M-O-L-D as in David, T as in Tom. Perfect. Well, this has been so much fun, and I thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Mark, for having me. It's been a great talk. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.